Lake Effect continues now on Milwaukee Public Radio. I'm Bonnie North. And I'm Mitch Tyke. Summer is in full swing, and for many, that means regular visits to a farmer's market. Since 1994, the number of farmer's markets in the country has grown from less than 2,000 to nearly 9,000 today, and that just counts the ones registered in the U.S. Department of Agriculture's directory. Many shoppers go to a farmer's market to support their local community, be environmentally friendly, also be more educated about their food, or maybe even to simply socialize. But they still represent only a fraction of the $800 billion spent annually on groceries in the United States. And they're only one of numerous options for consumers to buy produce. So how can farmers' markets compete more effectively? For our summer agriculture series, Full Plate, contributor Dave Kozlowski talked with Audrey Nowakowski about what's right and what's wrong with where farmers' markets are today. When they're working right, when all things are together just the way they should be, you've got the community coming together to buy directly from farmers. It is really a, a, a rare opportunity for them to meet the person who grows the food for them. And they probably can't get it fresher. But it's also more than that. I mean, a farmer's market is the Greek agora. It's the community coming together to discuss politics, social issues, meet new people, and certainly talk about food. I've heard a lot of talk about food. And it's also an opportunity for the community or people in the community, entrepreneurial people, to um, try out new businesses. Farmers markets are often the incubators for new businesses. And, and they also provide a function of uh, drawing attention to the existing local businesses around the market. So it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> a farmer's market is a beautiful thing when it's working. Of late, though, there's been some stresses on the market that are, are – Maybe you're going to cause it to adapt. Maybe some are adapting. Um, but we'll see what the future is for farmer's markets. Well, and I know around the Milwaukee area, you can have a farmer's market that's limited to a parking lot somewhere to one that sprawls across a major section of a park. So you mentioned some are struggling. What do you think is happening that makes a farmer's market not work or kind of <sighs> move away from its original ideal? Yeah, there's a lot of pressure on farmer's markets right now. Uh, to start with, um, farmers. There are a whole heck of a lot of markets. I mean, they've exploded since 2006 nationally, and certainly in our area they have. Um, southeastern Wisconsin must host something in the area of 25 to 30 markets. I'm not sure what the current number is in Milwaukee itself, but there's a lot of markets. And there's not that many farmers. <laughs> so uh, a farmer market without a farmer and a substantial portion of farmers is going to, I think, uh, and I think some uh, evidence suggests weaken that market. I mean, people come to a farmer's market in part to see farmers. But if you've got so many markets and few farmers, they are either stretching their produce to hit as many markets as possible, or they're only attending one market, not attending another, and that's going to put you know, an effort to try to find more farmers. So there's, there's stress on the supply side, if you will, but there's also stress on the demand side. There are more options now than ever before for people to get produce, quote-unquote fresh, organic produce, from everything to deliver to their door, you know, something like Peapod, or the grocery stores themselves are stocking uh, uh, organic sections and um, are claiming uh, farm-fresh produce, and some are even using farmers in their ads to emphasize that they're that they're, you know, connected directly to the farm, whether they are or not. So there's that demand side draw 
for people. They don't need to go to a farmer's market. They can go to a grocery store or they can order online for their product. There's also a sort of cultural one, I think, on the demand side, and that is people seem to be cooking less. <laughs> and um, that's obviously going to have an impact on the farmers at the farmer's market. And it's going to have an impact on what the farmer's market is going to look like because now to attract people down there, they have to have farmers, but they're also bringing increasingly prepared food vendors. Some farmers believe that that is taking money away from them. People are coming down to get their coffee, their donut, and their taco, and that's money that they, they might have been spending on produce. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not so sure about that because those people might be coming down just for that. They never intended to buy fresh produce. And when you look across generational lines, there was some evidence uh, recently in a trade pub that showed that uh, roughly about 10% of every generation, Generation X, boomers, millennials, buy or go to farmer's markets or buy direct from the farmers. But it seems to indicate, and I don't want to pick on millennials because they're picked on far too often, but it seems to indicate the data that they're more interested in the farmer's market as a so social thing. Well, it definitely has turned into that, and some people or organizations get people to come to their farmer's market because they'll have a, a weekly band or, mm -hmm. you know, rotating food trucks, as you mentioned, things right. like that to, right. as, a, as an event, a social event. Mm -hmm. But also for the consumer, for people who normally get their groceries, say, at a pick and save or any other type of grocery store like that, they can often find that buying the same items at a farmer's market could amount to be more expensive. Yeah. But what is the cost-benefit analysis of buying your produce at a farmer's market for the week versus... Yeah. That, that's a good question. That comes up a lot, right. I would debate the initial premise that it's going to be more expensive. I'm not so sure that it is always more expensive. I think some items are. I think grocery stores use some produce as loss leaders so to draw people in. So there is, there is that, that case. But what you're buying in the grocery store is, according to USDA data, at least... I shouldn't say every grocery store. Most grocery stores and most items are at least two weeks old from harvest to the shelf. So in that time, that product has become less fresh. And because it's become less fresh, it's become less tasty. And there's some pretty good data that suggests it's becoming less nutritious. So you can buy a product that may be two weeks old, or you can buy a product that was literally, in some cases, picked that morning for the market. Uh, you've got markets like the West Dallas Market that opens in the afternoon, 1 o'clock, um, primarily so the vendors there, the farmers there, can pick their product in the morning and bring them to the shelf. That's really fresh product. And I know other farmers who get up at 4 o'clock in the morning so they can be out at 4.30 to pick their produce to get to a morning market. So that's really fresh. Those, that is at most hours old. The economic advantage of that is product that, that's that fresh has got to have a longer kitchen shelf life than one that's already two weeks old that you buy from a grocery store. So taste and nutrition aside, just the economics of buying it, you're more likely to end up throwing away that head of lettuce that you bought in a grocery store after a week than you are buying that head of lettuce at the farmer's market after a week. 
Well, and I suppose people probably feel a greater sense of duty to actually make something with the produce that they've bought directly from a farmer. Because there is that pressure. That, <laughs> yeah. They've taken the extra effort to go yeah. there and buy those yeah. things too. Yeah. Well, we don't want to compel people to do these <laughs> things. We want people to want to do these things. Exactly. But, but yes, there is. There, there is. There is. They're making that extra effort to come down and to buy these things, in part because they feel compelled to do it. They just feel like this is something they need to do. And once they do that, then they, they start to sort of revisit their kitchen and revisit their cookbooks and discover the pleasure of cooking a meal for themselves or, or their kids. It also takes down the environmental impact because the average distance that a food may travel to get to, say, the pick and save to your table is up to 1,500 yeah. miles versus yeah. having a local market. Even though farmers may travel yeah. to several markets throughout the week, uh, there is cutting out that system, yeah. that distance. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I try not to push the green issue, but it's there. 90% of our produce comes from California, Florida, or Texas. So it is being picked and refrigerated and then shipped across country, all which requires a great deal of energy, as opposed to um, the bushels of carrots or um, radishes or whatever that might be picked in McGuanago, say, and put on the farmer's truck and brought to the market. Are some of these trucks the most efficient ones? No. Could would it be great to see this all on hybrid trucks or something? Sure. But still, the the uh, the carbon footprint of the local vegetables is far less than that of shipped cross country or crossed the world. And we are seeing a unique change in the system of shipping and the automation of groceries, I suppose we can call it. Uh, as you mentioned before, things like Peapod that delivers your groceries or uh, meal box subscriptions that send you food mm. enough for one meal to cook. With uh, all this packaging. <laughs> yeah, with all the packaging and people buying for a recipe versus for the week. And Amazon purchased Whole Foods, and their goal in doing that is to have more physical hubs within a couple of hours of a potential customer buying groceries. So while this technically reduces travel for food compared to what they are at now, do you think the problem still lays where the Whole Foods will get their supply from farmers ultimately? Yeah, um, it does. I, I am not sure how they define their hubs. Are they um, trucking it in still from California to these warehouse hubs and then distributing it from there? Or are they buying it local? I know Whole Foods um, was signing some contracts with local farmers of a certain size to provide them with their stores individually with produce. I think that's a good thing. I mean... Uh, I'm for farmers making a living. <laughs> so if this is the route that uh, it's going to take for farmers to, um, to get their produce to uh, the hands of the community, um, so be it. But uh, I, I haven't seen that yet. Um, the logistics still seem to want to lean towards mass shipment of produce from uh, mass growers of produce uh, in California or around the world to their hubs and redistributed from there. Ideally, we'd go back to a world of local canneries and local dairies and commission row type places like we used to have uh, here in Milwaukee where uh, farmers would bring their produce in and, and sell it directly to the consumers. And maybe that's where we're headed, but I'm not so sure that the Whole Foods, Amazon deal, at least as I recognize it so far, is going to bring that to fruition. Well, and on the note of farmers making a living, 
They, of course, impact their local economies. But in your experience, were you more successful at a farmer's market or through providing food to restaurants and your CSA? Because you, in fact, pulled out of farmer's markets. We, we do. We have an on-farm market, but we don't go to um, an, or any organized farm markets at this point. But we have lots of friends that do. And quite frankly, I, I miss the organized markets for all those benefits I talked about before. It's Farmers are losing money. Uh, nationally, uh, farm market sales are down something like 1% or 2%. I don't really put much credence in that kind of number because it really varies from market to market, city to city, vendor to vendor. But what we're seeing around here and of the folks I talk to, there's a loss of sales. Um, some blame the multiple option problem. Some blame the prepared food problem at the, at the markets. Um, the number of markets is bleeding the sales of other markets. So we're feeding off one another to maintain these markets. And so when you had fewer markets, those vendors in those markets were making more money. Now you have more markets, they're making less money. You can see that. I talked to one vendor um, who does both a summer market, a large summer market, and the winter market in Milwaukee. And their sales are up 10% at the winter market. One reason, I think, is there's not many winter markets. So you could see if the rise of markets has, has had an impact on the farmer sales. What was that point for you where you decided that it's not worth it anymore? We, our sales dropped below um, $500. And uh, we were making considerably more than that at the market. And we could see when we were there, we were, people were buying their week's worth of, of produce. When it came time for us to make the decision to leave, um, it was clear that they weren't buying their week's worth. Some people literally came with a recipe and said, you know, I need two carrots, a potato, and, you know, a turnip. Uh, <laughs> we put too much work. Farmers put too much work involved in coming to a market to be able to sustain a drop in sales to a certain point. And that, what that point is depends on the market itself. Is it a full-time job? Is it a part-time job? Are you, do you have a lot of employees? You know, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody's got their own benchmark. When we saw it starting to dip down below $500, $400, $300, we realized, you know, this is really not worth it. We can sell that much off the farm without having to pay the licenses and the booth fees and all the insurance and all that stuff. Well, on the note of what you sell at your farm right now, in this summer season, what's good to get right now? What kind of produce <laughs> is, is, are you really excited about? Uh, I'm excited about all produce. <laughs> well, maybe not summer squash, but um, I'm excited about all produce. It's a slow start to the season. Now, unless that farmer is um, a very innovative, aggressive farmer who's put up a lot of greenhouses, um, they'll have a good selection. So it's worth seeking out those farmers who have that ability. Or if there are farmers out west, away from Lake Michigan, uh, then uh, they will have a little bit jump on the season too. I mean, you're seeing scallions, peas, lettuce, um, maybe some spinach. Strawberry season is probably pretty close coming to an end now. I know we're done with ours. But eventually that stuff is going to take off and the markets will be full. And I'm predicting a super fall. I think we're going to have just a boatload of good produce come late summer and fall. Well, we'll look forward to talking about those types of produce as the seasons change and our next topic when you come in. Sounds great, Audrey. David Kozlowski and his wife, Sandy Rodenz, are owners of Pine Hole Gardens in Milwaukee. Kozlowski spoke with Lake Effects' Audrey Nowakowski as part of our summer series on Wisconsin agriculture, Full Plate.